Chapter 1, Who Cares About Chomsky, Anyway? Of course, the lecturer droned on, the most well-known relationship between formal languages is the Chomsky hierarchy, which I'm sure some of you have already heard about. Starting from the least general, we have the finite state automaton, followed by Who the hell cares about Chomsky, anyway? Akko was bored, but it was more than that. She was frustrated. The Japanese girl didn't fly halfway across the world to England, leaving behind her family and the place she called home and attending one of the most prestigious universities in the world, Lunanova Institute of Technology, just to learn about weird abstract concepts that weren't useful to her at all. From the back of the lecture theatre, Akko saw that a lot of her classmates were also bored like herself, from checking social media on their phones to catching up with anime or playing games on their laptops. But she also saw many students whose eyes followed every gesture that the lecturer would make with her hands. It was times like these that she felt out of place. Many of her fellow students came from countries all over the world for some of the best technical education England had to offer, which should have made Akko feel some sense of solidarity as an international student, if not for the fact that most of them came from expensive private schools. The only reason Akko could even afford to attend Luna Nova Tech was because of a new scholarship scheme that the university offered to foreign students who intended to study video game development. The university had really wanted to secure a firm foothold in video game development education with their new faculty. This fact occasionally bothered Akko, but really, the excitable brunette was simply happy to be studying for her dream degree in England. This course, however, Akko wasn't happy about. Her leg bounced impatiently. She wouldn't have been in this course in the first place had she not goofed around in first year. After realizing that her two newly made friends, Lotta and Amanda, were both taking a creative writing course, Akko's unbridled enthusiasm demanded to be placed in that class. Boring degree progression rules be damned. To Akko's credit, she had a blast being with her friends in that class. It wasn't until when she was deciding her second-year courses that she realized she had done goofed, as Akko would often eloquently put it. That creative writing course had replaced an introductory programming unit, which in turn had prevented her from enrolling into the introductory game design course for the first semester of her second year, something that she had been very much looking forward to. Since the introductory programming course wasn't offered that semester, it had seemed the programming languages and logic course was the easiest substitute she could take, as when Akko asked Amanda's German flatmate, Constanz, whether she should take the systems programming course instead, the quiet girl gave her a silent yet emphatic negative with her flailing arms and shaking head. So that was where Akko was, sitting in a dull lecture about dull concepts delivered in a dull, monotonous voice that could have made text-to-speech softwares jealous. Even the logic component of the course had been disappointing. She had hoped that studying logic would help her get better at being organized and exams and whatever, but instead it was just about pushing symbols around using a list of rules too long for Akko's attention span. It had felt like math, which was synonymous to life-threatening boredom as far as the brunette was aware. So Akko, being the obviously productive machine that she was, decided that the most logical thing to do was to mentally check herself out of the lecture, and instead work her on her next game, 
her magnum opus. She opened her modeling software and continued her unfinished work of rendering photorealistic potatoes. After the lecture, or as Akko liked to think of it, a highly productive game development session, she walked out of the lecture theater, pondering a more important problem than anything Chomsky had to offer. H.M., Akko thought deeply, scholarly. What should I eat for lunch? Definitely nothing with potatoes. Akko still had leftovers from dinner in their flat. Right as she started heading home, her pocket buzzed. She took her phone out and read the notification. 102 Amanda, yo was up. You around for lunch. Akko shrugged to herself. 102 Akko, sure. Where do you have in mind? 103 Amanda, last Wednesdays. You know how it is. 103 Akko, not sure if I wanna get buzzed before my 2pm lecture though. 104 Amanda, just get food and don't drink. 104 Akko, be there in 5 minutes. 104 Amanda, hell yeah baby. Truth was, Akko didn't have the appetite for pub food, partially because most meals came with thick potato chips or mashed potatoes, but she figured in the worst case scenario, she could just ask for salad to go with her meal instead. After walking into last Wednesday's hotel, she ordered her food first, receiving her food buzzer, before finding Amanda and her flatmates at their usual table at the back. She casually waved, earning a greeting from Jasminka and a nod from Constanz. How was your lecture? Amanda asked. I nearly fell asleep, Akko responded as she sat on a chair that Jasminka pulled out for her. I don't get why anyone would take this unit, it's so confusing and abstract. The short German girl scribbled onto her notepad, it's really not. Akko pouted. Unlike Constanz, she wasn't a mechatronic engineer. Yeah dude that sucks, Amanda sympathized. I just wanna make movies, but the compulsory English lit courses are just ass. Akko queried her eyebrow. By ass do you mean they suck, or because you're checking out that Hannah girl's ass? Why did I even invite you? Amanda sighed, in fake regret. The first one. I'll admit it, my line about giving her a great Gatsby was dumb and made no sense, but she didn't have to take it that badly. Akko giggled, as she did every time that line was brought up, and shrugged. That kind of humor was right up her alley, but she kind of understood why getting hit on while waiting for a lecture to start wasn't the best idea. The brunette's friendship with the American was founded on either or both of them doing things without much forethought. Throughout orientation week, newly minted and pre-existing friend groups alike had let loose in the numerous university bars around. Akko's flatmates hadn't been interested in suffocating in the alcohol-fueled rowdiness of late adolescence, but she had wanted to feel the excitement of college life, as romanticized by the trashy American movies she had been exposed to in her youth. The night she went to her first bar, she had narrowly dodged a bullet in the form of a half-empty beer bottle flying across the crowded room. She turned and saw a very guilty-looking redhead, whose eyes were slightly unfocused and rushed a slurred apology. The bartender had approached the commotion and angrily asked for the culprit. 
As no one had come forward, he suspiciously eyed the very obviously inebriated redhead. There was a tense silence in which the girl begged Akko wordlessly through her bright green eyes, perhaps to not damn her, or to do something to help her, the brunette did not know. The green eyes faltered in defeat, and their owner parted her lips to speak. It was me. All eyes were on the out-of-place Japanese girl, who clearly didn't have any alcohol in her. The bartender had a disbelieving look, as did the redhead. Really, he said, with folded arms, as if daring her to give an affirmation. Why yes, it was definitely me. Sorry. Reverting to her cultural conditioning, the Japanese girl bowed deeply. The bartender was taken off guard, but he demanded that she leave regardless, to which Akko nervously and awkwardly obliged. After she had left, the sounds of drunken youth resumed as if the tense moment had never existed. Her only proof was when the redhead from the bar ran out after her, matching her pace after having caught up. Hey, thanks. The redhead spoke with an American accent that Akko hadn't noticed earlier, decorated with the scent of alcohol. Why did you do that? Akko answered with a shrug. Why did you throw the bottle? The American shrugged. I'm Amanda, by the way. While Akko had left the bar that night without having tasted alcohol, she had left with a friend instead. Worst part is, Amanda continued, I found out recently that she actually does a media arts degree too, so I kinda fucked up big time. The redhead was set on working in the film industry, although she had not yet decided whether she wanted to work in production, or as an actor. You know you can just apologize, right? Jasminka suggested in her kind voice. The Russian girl was really one of a kind. Akko thought the purple-haired girl had the motherly quality of a kind babushka. She even slightly looked the part too, although Akko didn't mean this in a bad way about her figure at all. Jasminka loved eating, as evident by the large empty plate in front of her, and sharing, and her passion extended beyond just a hobby, as she studied a science degree in biotechnology, with which she hoped would lead into a career in the food industry. I mean I would. Amanda responded as her food buzzer went off. She got up from her chair. But she's made it pretty clear that she doesn't want anything to do with me, so why bother? The red-headed American left to get her food. When she returned, she also carried a glass of beer. Don't you have another couple of lectures soon? Akko asked. Yeah, so. Amanda responded as she took a large swig as if making some sort of an infallible point. I gotta enjoy the benefits of a lower legal drinking age while I still can. Don't tell me that's why you decided to study here. Amanda gave the brunette a wink, which earned her an eye roll. Akko's amusement was given away by a quirk of her lips. Shortly after, Akko received her food and ate in casual conversation with her friends. After Akko's classes for the day had finished, she returned to her flat. It was a small unit, but otherwise surprisingly cosy for the rent that she was paying. After all, the unit was still more spacious than the apartment the Kagari family had in Kyoto, with a more modern kitchen and a bathroom for each of the three rooms. Akko chalked up the low rent to being farther from Luna Nova than many of the other options, 
and being next to a busy road. She didn't really mind. Her flatmates were already home. Lotta was busy in the kitchen, while Susie seemed to be studying in the living room. Oh hey Akko, Lotta greeted after seeing Akko walk through the front door and take off her shoes. I'm making some cinnamon buns, would you like some? Akko's eyes perked up. Really? I love you so much Lotta. Your love is cheap, Susie deadpanned, without looking up from her notebook. Well, I have a lot to give, the brunette responded as she detached herself from a much-relieved Lotta. You can have some of me too if you like. Susie made a gagging noise as she gave the Japanese girl a look of revulsion, earning a bemused expression from Akko. The Filipino girl ignored her and continued reading her notebook. Hey Seuss, Akko began as she unceremoniously crashed onto the couch. Don't you usually study in your room? I'd give almost anything to do that, Susie responded, but I'm currently running an experiment in there, and the fumes probably aren't good for you over a prolonged period of time. Akko had always wondered how the chemical engineer could say the most alarming things in the least emotive intonation. It was clear to the brunette that if she reported Susie's activities to the property manager, it wouldn't be them telling Susie to leave. It would be the police. And then Akko would need to master the forbidden art of sleeping with one eye open. Regardless, she wouldn't do that to her friend. Plus, Lotta and herself would probably be kicked out for enabling Susie. Whenever Akko would ask, the purple-haired girl would boredly state that her interest in exotic chemical synthesis was purely out of personal interest. Akko didn't doubt her, because somehow, that idea fitted Susie. The Japanese girl had been the last person to arrive at the flat back in the first year. Because of course, out of the trio, Akko is the most likely candidate to somehow accidentally rock up at the wrong airport, then on the wrong airplane. No one was quite sure how Akko bypassed the security, but after half an hour of scary interrogation, although if anyone had asked the security staff, they would recall the suppressed memory of hearing an awful wailing resonating across the airport grounds about how she was going to be missed the first day of class and be expelled immediately from the best university in the world. When Akko had finally arrived at their flat, after having taken the wrong bus from the airport of course, she had introduced herself with a bow towards the orange and purple-haired girls. Lotta had introduced herself cordially as a student of audio engineering. She explained that sound and music had always been something of a fascination to her. The Finnish girl also asked whether Akko had heard of Nightfall and was strangely disappointed when she received a negative. Susie, however, barely introduced herself. She stated nonchalantly that her room was not to be entered, at which moment Akko had shivered for some reason. Maybe it was the late wintry breeze or something. Akko hadn't even found out what she was studying until halfway into the first semester, when she caught a glimpse of Susie in the brutalist chemical engineering building. The brunette thought Susie was born to work in that building. Akko pulled out her phone and scrolled through social media. Susie was initially glad that the brunette shifted her attention from talking to reading, but that gladness was cracked like a wine glass by the barely restrained giggling, then completely shattered into a thousand pieces by the obnoxious, unceasing laughter that streamed out of Akko as she browsed through meme after meme.
Akko, Susie began menacingly. If you're gonna stay out here, then be quiet. Otherwise, go to your room. Akko, in her ever-distracted brain, somehow parsed the statement, but not immediately its meaning. What Susie said, Akko thought, is just, A implies B, or not A. But her menacing presence actually made it sound like not dash, A implies B, or not A, implies C, where C is something really bad happening to me. Wow, I actually learnt something from, then, it dawned on her. Oh? The brunette apologized awkwardly, and stood up and moved towards her room. Here, Akko, Lotta appeared out of the kitchen, and held out a plate for Akko. Have a good evening. Akko gratefully accepted Lotta's charity, and exclaimed, Wow these buns look and smell amazing, Lotta. I'll make something for us all tomorrow night, I promise. Lotta smiled and approached Susie with another plate. As she entered her room, Akko charged her laptop, set the plate of a couple of cinnamon buns on her desk and dropped her bag down somewhere. Somewhere, because she didn't know, because she didn't see nor care. She fell onto her unmade bed in a muffled thump and closed her eyes. Akko wondered whether she should do her tutorial problems for her classes. Or better yet, work on assignments from now, Akko thought. Why waste a perfectly good evening? Akko opened her eyes and was greeted by familiar red eyes. Shiny chariot. In her dazzling white witch costume. In her almost angelic pose, as if performing a spell that would fill her heart with warmth and belief. A believing heart is your magic. Shiny Chariot's grand catchphrase had etched itself into Akko's mind over a dozen years ago. She took her Alka plushie, based on Chariot's familiar, and hugged it against her chest. She was reminded of all the times she would narrowly escape her demise in Arcturus Forest, using her flying magic to stay ahead of the fearsome cockatrice. The times she would liberate the oppressed fairies from their evil magical overlords with insatiable hunger for power. The times she would shout, I believe in my believing heart, and defeat the Noir missile with the shiny arc. Akko was reminded of her childhood days, when she would have endless fun playing the legend of Arcturus on her console as Otuzan and Okasan watched. It was a joy that six-year-old Akko had never experienced before. It was undoubtedly a formative part of Otsuko Kagari. She was no short of being obsessed with the video game. It had shown her that a world in which anything was possible. A world that she could change. A world that six-year-old Akko dreamt about every night, and would have given anything to be a part of. Her parents loved seeing their little girl in so much joy, that every year they would buy something for Akko that was related to Shiny Chariot, from the Alka plushie, when she was eight, to an art book when she was twelve. As she grew older, her love for the legend of Arcturus had only matured. Her passion for the game extended to a passion for video game development. She realized early on that she wanted to become a game developer. But like most things in life, things were never perfect. For her tenth birthday, Otuzan and Okasan had surprised Akko with what they thought would have made their daughter's entire year. Initially, it had seemed that they succeeded, as Akko had jumped up and down as she held the sequel to The Legend of Arcturus to her chest. But as Akko started playing, she felt a strange absence of magic. 
Of course, the graphics were significantly improved, the gameplay felt smoother and more responsive, the variety of monsters and abilities were more than double the original game. But it was soulless. It was no longer about a believing heart. Shiny Chariot had been robbed of her charm and became a bundle of pixels that Akko could not relate to. The set pieces had deprived Akko of her agency and in extension, the agency of the chariot that Akko knew in her mind. This imposter had tarnished her joy with the original. And so Akko gradually became more and more upset as she played the game. And after three days, she had finished the game, but was only left with a feeling of emptiness and bitter disappointment. Akko's parents were disheartened with her reaction and had sold the game, as they could see that its physical presence on their shelf was a stain in Akko's mind. But their little girl didn't blame them. A week after her birthday, she hugged both Otuzan and Okasan, telling them that it wasn't their fault, and that she loved them and thanked them for having bought the game regardless. Since then, there had been another The Legend of Arcturus game, released the year that Akko turned 13. But Akko didn't bother. She had even explicitly asked her parents not to buy that game for her. She didn't want her love for the original blemished by yet another zombified version of the game. And from what she had read from the Legend of Arcturus fans online, they made the right decision. She still loved the original game regardless, and replayed them countlessly. It was only years later, after having learnt to use the internet properly, that she had found out the reason why the sequels were butchered. The Legend of Arcturus was a victim of its own success. The game has been popular with players across the world. The anonymous indie creator of the original game, who went by the pseudonym Chariot, had been surprised by the success of their game. Initially, to give something back to the fans, they designed some merchandise for the game, including posters and Alka plushes. But that had not been enough, there was an obvious demand for a sequel. Capitalizing on the opportunity, a major Japanese publishing giant, Dream Fuel Studios, had offered Chariot the lucrative opportunity to work with a large team of specialists and developers to deliver a bigger, better sequel. And as a budding indie developer, who was Chariot to refuse? A chance to fulfill her fans, as well as to elevate her career as a game developer, is an opportunity that most could only dream of. However, Chariot had become overwhelmed with the expectation of making a worthy sequel, and exhausted from having to fight for control over creative vision with the publisher, they eventually quit and disappeared into thin air. This had left the publisher full control over the direction of the sequels, leading to a sacrilege in Akko's mind. Triple A A word that Akko had learnt to hate. She didn't blame Chariot at all, as Akko also had the desire to become a game developer and could empathize with them. More than that, she loved Chariot for having played an essential part in making Akko the person she was. No, she blamed the rampant corporatism and commercialization of the video games industry. She blamed the gatekeeping of giant publishers that held funding and production as carrots on sticks to subdue passionate developers as nothing but machines that turned a profit. Machines that were used until their bolts rusted and their cogs too broken to turn, only to be discarded and replaced by another. So just as convicted as Akko was in becoming a game developer, she added an important prefix to her dream title. 
she wanted to become an indie game developer. And it was as clear as day to Akko that she couldn't do it in Japan. This was the real reason that Akko had brought a shiny chariot poster with her to England, sticking to the wall adjacent to her bed. Of course, it was there because she loved the legend of Arcturus. But more importantly, it was a reminder. A motivation for herself. A deeply personal reason for why she was at an expensive university halfway across the world that her family could barely afford, surrounded by students seemingly outside of her league, taking classes that she could barely keep up with. All for a dream to become a creator of games that would bring joy and inspiration to people she would never meet. All for a chance to right a wrong in a way that she could gain an emotional closure. To prove to the unfair world that you can make the games you want without conceding an irreplaceable part of yourself and becoming devoured by the vultures. So feeling motivated once again, Akko got up from her bed and walked to her desk and sat down and didn't do any work. Akko took a large, absolutely undignified, bite of one of Lotta's buns and moaned. Crumbs dropped onto the floor as she seemed to not understand the sophisticated purpose of a plate, and remarked to herself, Oh God I have to find out how she makes these. She switched on her laptop and began browsing YouTube. She was probably subscribed to thousands of channels by now, so browsing her subscriptions feed was a futile endeavor. So she simply clicked on her favorite channel of the month, Daily Dose of Cats, and had a jolly good time watching cats being cats. After that, she frequented her favorite indie games forum. It didn't seem like much had happened since the last time she visited the forum, which wasn't actually very long since she got bored during her formal languages lecture and skimmed the newest posts just to stay awake, an imperative that Akko had to uphold with her life. As the last time she fell asleep during a lecture, she had been woken up rudely by the laughter of her fellow classmates and lecturer when she snored. It had been embarrassing enough as it was, but to make matters worse, a, thankfully blurry, photo of her sleeping had made it onto the Facebook page called People Sleeping at Night. Amanda had teased her about tagging her in the comments, but she knew the redhead better than that. Amanda would never do anything to hurt Akko, or any of her friends. Some of the threads were a little brain-dead, like the one Akko just scrolled past titled, How Do I Make a Game? She was tempted to hit them with the classic letmegoogle.com, but Akko was sure someone had beaten her to it already. What is the best 2D engine for platformers? That sounded like it might be interesting, but no replies yet. There's one about. Wait a minute. Hold up. LNIT. Akko could swear she saw a thread that had knit in the title, but she was scrolling too fast so she couldn't tell whether it was actually there or if she was going crazy. Akko scrolled back to the top and started skimming again. After a couple of minutes, still nothing. Ah well, Akko thought, probably just me going crazy, wait, why didn't she just check with the find command? Stupid. Akko pressed Ctrl and F keys, typed in knit and a hit. A thread with the title, Indie Game Expo at LNIT. Her heartbeat quickened. She impatiently clicked on the link, 
but not before missing a couple of times and accidentally clicking on a neighboring thread about how indie games led to their marriage. No, Akko didn't care about that right now, but another time perhaps. The opening post, apparently from an admin, stated, Greetings to all indie developers and lovers. Recently, our application to the Lunar Nova Institute of Technology, LNIT, for hosting the annual Community Expo had been approved. This is the first year that this event will take place at LNIT, so we're very excited for indie developers and gamers to travel to Blytonbury from far and wide to showcase and play indie games that you might otherwise miss. Come hang out the week after the next. We have the venue booked for three days. Developers looking to schedule in, please click the link below. This is it, Akko thought, an opportunity for real exposure. Her barely contained excitement was made obvious by the fact that her second cinnamon bun had been untouched for the last couple of minutes, as she read and reread the post. It wasn't that Akko couldn't find places to upload her games, but rather no one seemed to play them. But of course that wasn't the budding developer's fault, since how the hell was a user supposed to find her game among a list of thousands? They simply couldn't. But with an expo, Akko was guaranteed that at least some people would play her game, and if she got lucky, a critic might love it so much that they give it a highly positive review that will attract thousands of players. Her chances were looking even better, considering that she was nearly finished with her magnum opus. So, excited by the endless possibilities that the expo seemed to provide, Akko clicked the link. After she had lodged her application for the expo, Akko resumed her mission of digitally modeling potatoes with a renewed vigor. Chapter 2 The Medium of Experiences Diana Cavendish was in her element. When she wasn't in her element, she was considered the best in her cohort. And when she was, she became a being of pure focus, as if possessed by a ghost that would not relent until it achieved what it had set out to do. She became the best in her generation. Therefore, the mid-semester exam in front of her was nothing but child's play. The question in front of her was on how and why bioactive ceramics can be effectively utilized as bone graft substitutes. It might as well have asked her what her middle name was. The exam room was tense, with a dead silence in which the blonde could hear breaths that she didn't draw herself, tapping from the board exam invigilators, who had nothing to do but to catch up with social media, the scratching of pens onto paper from across the room. Diana was slightly irritated by how her desk wobbled with every stroke of her vigorous writing, but not anymore. She smiled to herself in satisfaction. Diana set her pen down on her table and looked at the clock. She had only used half of the time given. She briefly glanced around the room, seeing that many of her peers were still writing frantically, while others sat on their chairs with a confused or disheartened look, holding pens that did not make contact with paper. She could leave now, but of course, as the diligent Cavendish she was, she didn't. She spent the next half hour proofreading her responses over and over. Not that she had found any errors, of course. That would have been a surprise. Whenever her mind wasn't plagued with worry over a future that she needed a foothold in, or yearning for a past that she so desperately wished she could reach, 
mistakes in her thoughts and actions were non-existent. The timer eventually counted to zero, prompting the invigilators to collect the papers. The students conversed with one another about the exam. Some thought that they did badly, others were cautiously optimistic. But no one paid Diana any attention as she left without a word. She didn't particularly feel the need to discuss anything with any of her classmates. She was used to this, anyway. The exam had finished late afternoon, so Diana figured she might as well visit one of the university cafes around for an early dinner. She took out her phone. 5.11 Diana, hi Barbara, I'm about to grab something to eat on campus. Does Hannah or yourself want me to bring back anything? 5.12 Barbara, now, Arve's invited Han and I to dinner with her flatmates. Wanna come? 5.12 Diana, thanks for the invite, but I think I'd rather stay in tonight. Have fun at Avery's. 5.13 Barbara, I'd ask you how you did on your exam, but there's really no point, smiley face. Rather than going for the cafes around the engineering campus, she walked towards the business school instead, which unsurprisingly was a part of the university that received more funding than they had known what to do with and so they splurged and in turn had the best cafes on campus. Along with other enviable amenities, such as nicer bathrooms and more modern lecture theatres. Even the buildings themselves were newer and looked prettier. Luna Nova Tech was a university that, despite technically being a public research university with one and a half centuries of history, operated as though it were a private institution with incentives towards commerce and expansion. The large international student intakes every year was proof of that. Diana found the subject of tertiary education and university decisions deeply fascinating. One surprising decision made a decade ago by the university was to break away from the traditional UK academic calendar and instead move to a semesterly system where the long yearly break was over the winter holidays and a six-week break over the July-August period. It had been a highly controversial proposal, with many newspaper outlets outraged at the perceived erosion of not just British education, but also of traditional British culture. The reason hadn't been to attack the minds of the young, as the pundits had claimed. In reality, it had been much simpler. Luna Nova wanted to synchronize with the academic years of many other universities across the world to encourage international exchange programs, as well as to make vacation internship and research programs less of a headache to schedule. In a surprising move by a public institution of any kind, the university hadn't capitulated to the media pressure and doubled down on the move. Aunt Darrell often made disparaging remarks after finding out that Diana had applied for Luna Nova Tech. Some of her classics included, Can You Believe It? Luna Nova has gone to the dogs. And our little prodigy is getting less British by the minute. All the more reason for why Diana had been set on studying here. But of course, there had been a more important reason for why she had chosen Luna Nova. A more personal one. It was to feel closer to her mother. A ghost that Diana had been chasing ever since she had left her life. Diana walked through the doors of the least popular business school cafe. She wanted tranquility, and she would not get it in the flashiest cafe on campus. Not that this cafe was bad, 
but it wasn't the most convenient nor attractive venue for groups of friends. After ordering a sandwich and the tea of the day the cafe offered, Diana took a seat near the back, adjacent to a window overlooking some wing of the business school. Unlike most people who sat alone at cafes, Diana didn't pull out her phone to check social media. She had no such thing. She would check her emails, but Diana figured that after an exam, she might as well treat herself with a little break from her usual highly streamlined routine. A waitress set her sandwich and tea down with a smile. Diana returned her politeness. The sandwich was fine. She didn't exactly fuss over what she ate on a daily basis as long as she wasn't going to get sick or feel sick in the case of greasy foods. Diana took a sip of her tea and approved as she appreciated the bitter flavor. Maybe I should ask for the brand. Diana had only started frequenting this particular cafe since second year. She is in her third year now. Unfortunately, referring to the Cavendish as a prodigy wasn't unique to Daryl, albeit others did so in a less belittling tone. Diana had spent her secondary education years in an upper-class girls' private school, where her classmates were daughters of politicians, important figures, and others from well-established families. The Cavendish was no different. Not only was her heritage one with a long line of respected healers, her great-grandmother, Beatrix, had started one of the world's oldest medical technology companies, Cavendish Life Technologies. Her intentions had been noble, with little concerns in the way of profit maximization. Cavendish Life had been successful in developing medical technologies that not only improved the well-being of their users, but also was affordable, something that had not been a priority in the minds of inventors at the time. This had made Cavendish a household name for decades, earning the admiration and respect of the common folk whose lives or the lives of their loved ones had seen improvement. But as competitors grew, by those who saw opportunities for profit rather than for the greater good of their fellow people, the landscape shifted. Life-saving technologies had been patented and sold to the highest bidder. Inventions were no longer eagerly shared among the medical community, but rather held onto along with the power that came with exclusivity. The Cavendish family had been good medical inventors and researchers, but helping humanity was an endeavor that a single family could not sustain. And so over time, the presence Cavendish life technologies had in the medical domain had dissipated into a mere shadow of its former glory. Bernadette worked tirelessly to restore the family business to what it had been, a bastion of hope for those who risked their livelihoods and happiness for reasons that they had no say in. The woman worked even as she was brought onto her deathbed. Diana had been only eleven when her mother had passed away. Why was it that whenever Diana wasn't doing work, her thoughts always returned to either her mother or her future? This far in, she supposed that she might as well continue with her brooding. Diana was considered a prodigy. A rising star. She had skipped an entire year of her secondary education, because she had pushed herself far beyond where a girl her age should be. She thrusted herself into advanced texts with nothing but an iron will. She would not accept any less than mastery, something that had cost her countless nights of frustrated tears, opportunities to make friends, and any sense of joy that an adolescent girl deserved. But it had given her a chance to move beyond just wallowing in her loss.
it had given her a sense of purpose. Diana graduated high school at the age of 17. She came to Luna Nova to study biomedical engineering. She would complete her bachelor's degree that year, and her master's degree the next. She would find her foothold at the forefront of biomedical research, and complete a PhD in some highly regarded university. And then she would take over Cavendish Life Technologies, as the chief executive officer from Aunt Darrell, in accordance with her mother's will. Darrell didn't really have any interest in running a company. In the years where Darrell had taken over, her major contributions had been making questionable hiring decisions and nothing else, as she delegated all tasks to her subordinates. Her aunt had always really only cared about being a socialite, but out of respect for her sister, she had agreed to fulfill the role left behind by Bernadette until Diana completed her education. And while Darrell hadn't dared making any outrageous decisions for the family business, it was also accurate to say that she was running it to the ground by the attrition that came with stagnation. Diana could have taken over the company much earlier, but she wouldn't do so until had the expertise to restore the company. And what was a few more years at this point? Diana sighed. Even when she wasn't doing any work, she was thinking about things related to it. It seemed that only one thing in the world could truly take her mind off of the constant alternation between working and melancholic brooding. Perhaps she could find time for it later tonight. After having decided that she had enough time brooding and people watching from the cafe, she gracefully rose from her hair, thanked the waitress and left. For reasons unknown to Diana, she didn't take the chance to ask the waitress about the tea. Diana stretched her back. She had been sitting at her desk for a few hours, studying ahead for her senior biomaterials course. Of course, she just had the mid-semester exam earlier today, which she had effortlessly aced. But there was no harm in being prepared, right? Spread out in front of her was the biomaterials textbook for which the course was based on, a notebook filled with study notes and a few different colored pens. Unlike the vast majority of the students in her courses, Diana avoided taking out her laptop during a lecture, if she could help it, and took notes with pen and paper. Diana simply felt that typing notes with a laptop trivialized the act of learning into something mechanical and unmeaningful. Having a bright screen glaring at her eyes while trying to focus on the lecture was irritating. And typing notes with a laptop only resulted in a lazy and worse copy of the lecture slides, at which point she might as well consult the slides instead of her notes. But with the tactility of pen and paper, she could feel what she was writing. It was better ingrained into her memory that way. And while she wrote her notes, she could simultaneously reflect and absorb the knowledge that was bestowed. At the end of each week, she would then summarize the lecture notes she had taken down onto a separate notebook. The said notebook would become her final revision notes after the lecture's finish. To anyone else, it would seem like a terribly redundant habit for someone with an absurd amount of time on her hands. After all, the average student simply reads through lecture slides as revision. But Diana wasn't like that. She didn't have more time than most students, but rather, she had unmatched organizational skills to the point of compulsion. And unlike the average student, Diana had topped most of her courses, 
never once receiving a mark less than 90. Year after year, she would earn awards and scholarships, none of which she needed, especially not for the monetary value, since she was still wealthy. The awards meant nothing to her, as validation was not her reason for applying herself. But she accepted them anyway, since she figured that they would come in handy for when she applies for a graduate program. Diana never went out of the way to apply for a scholarship, however. She would only be taking it from someone who needed it more than she did. After witnessing Cavendish's efficacy in winning every academic award possible, Hannah stopped calling her study regime archaic. Initially, Diana's friendship with her flatmates had been rather one-sided and more akin to fangirls fawning over their favorite celebrity. Her jaw dropped as she recognized the blonde hair with tea-green streaks that fell in curls around a pale, elegant complexion that wore a gentle, cordial smile. Hello, Diana began, you must be the new residents of this flat, I presume. My name is Diana Cavendish. Diana's hand rose to proffer a handshake, but had frozen in mid-air after hearing the raven-haired girl squeal. Her expression faltered, not quite knowing the correct response to the other girl's outburst. At that moment, another girl with auburn hair walked through the door. Barbara, can you not? Did a new Nightfall volume come out, or? No, Hannah, look. The girl named Barbara gestured wildly in Diana's general direction. It's Diana Cavendish. Diana. Caven, something clicked in Hannah's brain. Cavendish. As in Cavendish Life Technologies Cavendish. The blonde retracted her hand awkwardly. Why yes, that is our family business. Hannah's eyes widened. It's such a pleasure to meet you. My grandma uses your company's sleep apnea machine. She's been using it for half her life now, but she always declines every time we offer to buy her a newer model. Your company really changed her life. Diana was overwhelmed. She had never been one for attention, but the intense looks on the two girls in front of her made her discomfort skyrocket to a whole new level. I, I am glad to hear that. She lied. A, are you going to be our flatmate? Barbara asked. Diana's previous flatmates were quiet and mostly kept to themselves. She had been comfortable in that arrangement, but one girl had graduated, while the other struggled with her first year at Luna Nova, so she had decided to transfer to a different degree in a different university. The blonde really wished they had stayed with her for another year, despite barely remembering their names and faces. Yes, I believe so. The two girls squealed. Diana cringed. From that long afternoon from the previous year, Diana had learnt that both girls studied art degrees in English literature. Barbara intended to go into academia, while Hannah wanted to get into film production. Luna Nova was primarily a technology school, so their arts faculty was a smaller part of the university. When the blonde had asked her flatmates why they had chosen Luna Nova, they responded simply that it had been their local university. They didn't really have to relocate to a flat, but they told her that they were inseparable since the age of six, and they intended to stay that way. 
While Hannah and Barbara's insistence at spending time with the Cavendish had been annoying at first, Diana eventually came to enjoy their company. Their openness to reach out and spend time with Diana was something that she had not been used to. It had felt awkward at first, but their friendship made her feel a little less lonely. Perhaps it was depressing to acknowledge the important fact that Diana hadn't made any proper friends up until her friendship with her flatmates, but having friends to ask her whether she was hungry or needed something or wanted to check out the new Marvel movie was something that Diana never knew she would appreciate. To the credit of her flatmates, they had also matured from fangirls to genuine friends who respected Diana as a human being. Diana really couldn't express her gratitude for what her friends had brought to her life. After making herself some tea, Diana returned to her desk, looking to resume her studious efforts. But as she picked up her pen, her phone rang. Diana looked at the caller and groaned. She hesitated for another moment, debating to herself the merits of simply declining the call before she capitulated. Aunt Daryl. Niece Diana, Daryl responded with a mocking tone. See, that doesn't feel very nice, does it? Diana's free hand subconsciously moved to pinch the bridge of her nose. If antagonizing me is all you're here for, then I'm sorry to say that you're going to need to find someone else to entertain yourself with. Come now, Diana. There is no need for hostility. Diana didn't even bother to respond. Fine, Daryl sighed after an awkward pause. I may have made some mistakes in the past. But I am a refined woman who owns them. Diana's oncoming headache is going to be an earth-shattering one. She could feel it. Aunt Daryl, Diana began, barely holding her intonation even, you tried to sabotage my admission into Luna Nova by calling the Chancellor. You're lucky that we're even remotely on speaking terms. Oh don't be so dramatic, Daryl's eye roll could be felt through the call. That was nearly two years ago. Ancient history. Plus, I was only looking out for you. That was not your decision to make, Diana couldn't keep the venom out of her voice. You knew how important this was to me. Why was this important to me? You're being too sentimental, Daryl dismissed. Being too emotional has no place in being a successful CEO. Nothing that you would know about, Diana barely held back. If your intention was to ruin my night then you've accomplished it. Was there anything else? A pause. No it wasn't, Daryl spoke, more gently than Diana had heard in a long time. I wanted to ask how you were. There was a strange sincerity that Diana felt bothered by. Fine. Although I don't recall you ever caring enough to ask before. Believe it or not, I do care, Diana. I know we haven't gotten along in the past. Diana scoffed. Daryl ignored her. But, you are Bernadette's daughter. My niece. I do care about you. So really, how are you doing? Diana didn't feel particularly moved by her aunt's declaration. But as painful as it was to admit to herself, she knew that Daryl did have her interests at heart, in some strange, twisted sense of familial love. 
Even that word didn't quite sit right in her mind. Diana sighed. I have been fine. Good, actually. Things are going well. Her aunt hummed. There. That wasn't so hard, was it? I've got to go. I have work to do. No you don't, Daryl chuckled knowingly. You really haven't changed, have you? Goodbye, Aunt Daryl. Maybe I'll call you tomorrow, darling. Diana ended the call with a tap harder than she intended. Her aunt really enjoyed getting on her nerves, even in an endeavor as simple as asking her how she was doing. Diana hadn't forgiven Daryl for her actions in the past. Had Chancellor Holbrook not been as understanding as she was by contacting Diana after Daryl's call as her legal guardian, Diana wasn't sure if she would be here. Aunt Daryl had a strange way of showing her love, it seemed. Diana wasn't lying when she told Daryl that her night was ruined. She was thrown off her element by a phone call from the one person she least expected. The one person she least wanted to talk to. She was no longer in the mindset to get any work done. Diana subconsciously stared at her tea as she vented her frustrations internally at an imaginary Daryl. But even Daryl in her mind was equipped with comebacks that just made her feel even more annoyed and exhausted. By the time she raised the tea to her lips, it had gone cold. She poured the stale tea into her sink and made more. There was really only one thing that could take Diana's mind to a place of peace. She switched on her laptop, launched her Unity editor, and loaded up her most recent project. Diana moved around the environment in the game window. She knew what she wanted to go for, and the feelings were there. But it was incomplete. The execution needed refinement. Her assets needed to be more, samba. Impersonal. Alien. But Diana didn't quite have the assets she needed at the moment. She could tend to that later. She figured that as long as she had the structure of the scenes down in a way that conveyed the theme effectively, the rest of the work would simply be a matter of finding the right assets with aesthetics that complemented the scene. And Diana most definitely wanted to lose herself in working on the game tonight. To experiment with different ideas, playtest the scenes to feel how they worked, perpetuate the cycle between creation and experimentation. Most people didn't think Diana had a single creative bone in her body, and she could kind of see how they would arrive at that conclusion. But just like anyone else, Diana needed a way to express herself. She wasn't much of a conversationalist, so she couldn't really express the things she felt by talking to someone else. For some time, she kept up with a journal, but there was a lack of fulfillment there. A lack of catharsis. She wasn't much of a writer. Whenever she tried writing, she would struggle with finding the words that truly conveyed what she felt. Diana wasn't a bad visual artist, she had some success with oil painting in her adolescence. But painting was limited in a way that Diana could not compromise with, visual art is static. Emotions, generally, are most definitely not static. Emotions change and blend into one another. They are elusive and confusing. Their shape is indeterminate. Dynamic. 
and Diana knew only of one medium that seemed to be capable of capturing and invoking feelings in a way that she rarely ever felt from other forms of expression. And that was the medium of video games. The medium of experiences. Diana had first felt the way video games could make her feel when she was six. Running their family business had meant that her mother was sometimes too busy to come home to Diana. Her mother would miss things. And that particular day, the thing that her mother missed was her birthday celebration in the Cavendish Manor. Diana's aunt and cousins had started to look bored, sitting at the long dining table. As per Diana's request, the housekeepers were invited too, also sitting down looking around awkwardly as they tried their best not to look bored. It had been 20 minutes since Diana's birthday meal should have started. The dishes served meticulously by the chef sat untouched and were no longer fresh and hot. Diana didn't want it to start without her mother. It was her birthday. It was her special day of the year. And everyone was here. And it had been a disappointment. Because the most important person in Diana's life wasn't. And when Daryl made a remark that they should just start, little Diana couldn't hold it in anymore and ran. She ran and ran. Through the empty halls of the manor. Up the stairs that seemed like boulders to her short legs. Into her room. She threw herself onto her bed and the dam broke. Diana cried into her pillow. At some point, the little girl must have fallen asleep, because when she opened her eyes again, her mother was there, kneeling by her bed. You're late, Diana said in her cute, high-pitched voice. She was pouting, resolved to be mad at her mother for missing the most important celebration of the year. To Bernadette, it was adorable, and she had etched the image into her mind, determined to remember it for the rest of her life. I'm sorry, my darling, her mother apologized. Something came up at work. I had no choice. Bernadette saw that her daughter's pout deepened, and did all she could to keep a straight face, lest she wound her little girl's pride. No, you're right, Diana. I should have come back sooner. Oh what can I ever do to make it up to my pretty little girl? The older Cavendish pretended to be in deep thought. Diana's lips twitched as she did her best to suppress her smile. H.M., what if I could give her a birthday present? It was then that Diana realized her mother was holding something behind her back. Her interest was piqued. Mum, what's that? What's what, dear? Bernadette smiled coyly as she turned so Diana couldn't peek behind her. But Diana was smart. She launched herself at her mother, who for a brief second wore a look of horror as her reflexes reacted and caught her daughter just in time, resulting in a tight embrace. Diana, her mother shrieked. Don't scare me like that again, please. The little girl dipped her head in guilt. Sorry, mum. It's fine, my darling. Diana peeked behind her mother's back and her eyes widened. M mum. It's a uh, uh. Again, her mother finished for her, looking at her excited girl with fondness. With love. It had been a game. The game had made her feel wonder, excitement, terror, joy, and even companionship. 
She recalled playing the game with her mother whenever she was not busy. And when she was busy, little Diana would play the game herself. It had kept her from feeling loneliness when the other kids at school thought she was weird. She hadn't played that game for nearly a decade. Diana's memories of that game had been soured. But while her taste for gaming had changed, her love for gaming did not. To Diana, video games were art. Over the years, she had been drawn to more unconventional games. Games that weren't about slaying monsters, rescuing princesses, or acquiring points. But rather, to games that elicited emotions. Games that gave Diana personal, intimate experiences that made them feel like they were her own, that what she got out of those games were unique only to herself. And when she realized that what she wanted to express could be done in such games, she taught herself how to make those. To construct impossible experiences that captured the elusiveness of her emotions. As she was lost in her own world of transcribing the themes she wanted to convey into a digital landscape, she heard her door open. Diana jumped. Oh, sorry Diana, Hannah's sincerity was contradicted by her smirk. I tried knocking a couple of times, but you didn't respond. That's all right, Diana gathered herself as she turned herself around on the chair. I was just really focused. You gotta be more careful, you know, Hannah teased, maybe next time I'll walk in on you enjoying yourself too much. Hannah. What? Your bed is kinda squeaky, is all I'm saying. Is there anything I can help you with? Diana did her best to melt Hannah's shit-eating grin with a glare, but her flushed cheeks instead gave the auburn-haired girl even more satisfaction. No, but there's something that I can help you with. Diana blinked. What do you mean? Hannah reached into her jean pocket and pulled out a folded paper. She unfolded it and handed the paper to Diana. The blonde wasn't sure why she took notice of the fact that the paper was warm. Diana quickly skimmed the paper. No, it was a pamphlet. An indie game expo. Here. Diana looked back up at Hannah with raised eyebrows, to which Hannah rolled her eyes. Oh come on Diana, Hannah said, in a tone as if Diana couldn't see the obvious, this is a chance for you to showcase your games. Showcase my games. Sorry, Hannah, but why would I want to do that? Hannah placed her hands on her hip. Because they are good. Because you might meet people who like your games and share your interests. Duh. Diana's flatmates had discovered that she had an interest in writing games about a few months after they had moved in with her. She had been happily making a game about the concept of the Hegelian dialectic when Barbara walked in through the door that Diana had forgotten to close. Her flatmate was asking her whether she wanted to check out the new hipster restaurant that had been all the buzz recently, when she saw the weird shapes on Diana's screen and became curious. Diana had been embarrassed, but explained her hobby. She felt anxious when her flatmates said that they wanted to try her game. To her surprise, they actually enjoyed it and understood what Diana was going for. After all, they were both literature students and were vaguely aware of continental philosophy. 
She had felt a strange sense of relief and fulfillment from the fact that the girls appreciated what she had made, even if the game had been intended only for herself. Since that day, Diana had felt an unfamiliar ease with the girls that she didn't feel with other people, and she occasionally would show her friends her games. But she had never shown her games to strangers before, neither online nor in the real world. They didn't even have star menus, for God's sake. I don't quite think that's a good idea, Diana said. My games aren't really meant for other people. Yeah, but Barb's and I enjoy them, Hannah responded. And look how that turned out. You can't deny that you like the fact that we like your stuff. Diana couldn't, but validation wasn't what she was after. And I'm perfectly happy with just sharing them with you too. Barbara walked in at that moment. Diana, don't you think it would be good if you met with other people who shared your hobby, the raven-haired girl asked. If nothing else, I think getting perspectives from other people can help with your craft. Diana couldn't actually think of a rebuttal to this point. She couldn't deny the obvious pitfalls of being your only critic. If she could hear different perspectives on her work, then would have a better idea of how her ideas and execution blended. H.M., Diana hummed, that is an excellent point, actually. What is it that makes you a better communicator than me? Hannah asked her best friend rather dramatically. Dunno. I read a lot. Yeah, a lot of fan fiction. Hannah rolled her eyes. You better go, Diana. The girls left Diana's room without closing her door, which slightly annoyed the blonde. Diana understood that her friends had her best interests in mind. And maybe they were right, talking to new people might do her some good. With a shrug, Diana typed the site address printed on the pamphlet onto her browser's address bar. Chapter 3, The Expo Part 1 Akko groggily opened her eyes. She had the vague feeling that she might have dreamt about potatoes. She supposed that was what ought to happen when one stared at digital potatoes for half a dozen hours a day. Every day of her past week. The brunette slapped around for her phone on the desk next to her bed, accidentally knocking down her plastic cup. That woke her up as she rose so fast that she got whiplash. Oh thank God, Akko thought as she felt a wave of relief. I was smart enough to drink all of it last night. Smart perhaps wasn't the most appropriate adjective here. Thirsty would have been more appropriate. Although, to her credit, investing in a plastic cup instead of a glass was a smart decision, one that she had come to after experiencing a lifetime of natural selection of cups, plates and bowls that suffered from her ownership. Retrieving the fallen cup, after a moment of struggle from her handicap of being unable to leave the warm embrace of her bed, she checked the time on her phone. 5.17 a.m. Akko gulped. She prayed that she didn't wake up any of her flatmates. Especially not Susie. She held her breath for a moment and only released it after making sure that she couldn't hear the sounds of her flatmates storming towards her room. Now that her safety had been ensured, she groaned. She had something at 10, so that meant she had another five hours to go. 
But what was it that she was waiting for? It was just on the tip of her mind. She could almost feel it. Come on, come on, the expo. The expo. And suddenly, as if a switch flipped in Akko's brain, as if a million neurons suddenly sparked in explosive action, she was excited. She was giddy. She was positively vibrating with excess energy. Today was going to be the first day that she would see people play her game. The first day of her career. Ah crap, she thought. What am I going to do for the next five hours? Akko knew herself too well, she would not be able to go back to sleep. She checked her messages. 9.33 Amanda, yo broski, when is your thing tomorrow? 9.40 Amanda, Akko. 9.42 Amanda, Jesus Christ, don't tell me you're already asleep. Could anyone blame the brunette? She simply couldn't wait, so she bugged Susie over and over about having some of her strong stuff to sleep earlier until the Filipino girl relented. And oh boy was that stuff strong. Susie had told her that it was some exotic brand of vodka that she got on Jasminka's recommendation, but Akko could have sworn that the chemical engineer had done something to the composition of the alcohol, because surely, vodka wasn't supposed to be murky, right? It was almost swamp-like. It went down her throat with a taste of what she imagined what Shrek's bathwater might have felt and tasted like, and left her with a burn that she had to wash down with milk. But it did the trick, because a few minutes later, Akko was knocked out cold on her bed. 5.31 Akko, yeah lol sorry about that. 5.32 Akko, I was just too excited, you feel. 5.32 Akko, excited asterisk. 5.33 Akko, too excited asterisk. 5.33 Akko, too excited. 5.35 Akko, anyway I booked a spot from 1 to 4, so just come by any time. Akko grabbed her earphones from her desk and hit shuffle on her Spotify. She instantly beamed when she saw what the random number generator curated for her. Life looks better. When you're on your trampoline. But keep an eye on gravity. And don't forget to. Bounce, 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 bounce. Akko reiterated in beat with the absolute bop of a song. And when the singer started rapping in Japanese, so did Akko. The excitable girl really did resonate with the indie band. In more ways than one, clearly. She danced a little, well, if you could call wiggling around sporadically on her bed as dancing, as she scrolled through her social media feeds. Akko couldn't help herself from visiting the thread on the Indie Games forum for the expo at Luna Nova, and posted, OMG, I'm so excited to meet you all. She didn't expect a response, nor did she care. About an hour of having a mosh pit with herself on her bed that would have looked like a seizure to an outsider, Akko decided it was time to get up. After she visited her bathroom, Akko walked to the kitchen to get some water and narrowly avoided bumping into her Finnish flatmate. Oh, Lotta! Akko exclaimed in surprise. Why are you up so early? Actually, I'm usually up around this time. Oh? You're up quite early, Akko. Lotta chuckled. 
Well yeah, today's a big day, and I couldn't fall back asleep. Akko filled her cup with tap water and gulped a mouthful. It was a godsend, as Lord knows Akko was familiar with the feeling of a parched throat the morning after whenever she drank alcohol. Oh yeah, that's right, Lotta remembered, giving Akko a soft, congratulatory smile. I'll try my best to visit you during your time slot. I'm sure Susie will come, too. Akko gave the orange-haired girl a radiant smile and said, Thanks, Lotta. I appreciated it. The brunette helped Lotta fry some pancakes. Of course, when Akko first tried to cook in her new home, her flatmates wore varying degrees of concerned looks on their faces. Lotta was worried, but was polite about it. Susie, on the other hand, had bluntly stated that she was fully willing to chloroform the shit out of Akko if it meant avoiding their building being reduced to scorched earth in a hellish blaze. Akko insisted that her cooking was not only safe, but decent. Both of her flatmates had doubted that this was the case, but to their surprise, Akko managed to make Japanese curry and miso soup that had not only left the structural integrity of their building intact, but also tasted wonderfully. Akko was used to having people doubt her culinary abilities, and she didn't begrudge them, as she knew that she could be very clumsy sometimes, and cooking was an activity that demanded full concentration. Her aptitude for cooking was from her determination. When Akko was young, she was bent on learning to cook as a way to make her parents' days a little less stressful and a little more joyful. Yes, there were instances in which mistakes were made, but through her bullheaded pursuit of the skill, she became decent at it. Not great, not awful, but decent. After breakfast was ready, Susie shuffled out of her room in her nightgown, like a pale ghost hovering towards them. She rubbed her tired eyes, then again after seeing Akko. Ha, huh, so you really are up. It was a Wednesday, so the girls had classes. Akko, however, decided to skip her lectures that day just to attend the expo. Surely, a missed lecture, or two didn't hold a candle to a career, right? Akko patted herself on the back for her highly mature decision. Life was about making sacrifices, after all. Lotta and Susie left for their classes, but not before Akko begged Susie to swing by later, to which the purple-haired girl grunted in response. Akko walked in a hurried pace towards the heart of Luna Nova Tech. While she wasn't particularly fond of it, she could appreciate the elegant, sandstone structures that stood tall and wide at the center of the campus. Those were the oldest buildings, and so they were the ones with the most history and prestige. Back in the first year, when Akko was exploring the enormous campus with her flatmates, her jaw dropped when she first saw the magnificent, almost imposing architecture. She felt a sense of recognition that had coincided with bubbling excitement. Oh my god you guys you can believe it, Akko said in a single breath, as she jumped up and down. Oh Tuzan and oh Carson won't believe me at all. Can you guys help me take a picture? Her flatmate looked at each other in bemusement. Um, Lotta started, feeling unsure of what she was missing, sure, Akko. Is this place important to you or your parents? Akko looked at the Finnish girl as if she didn't know the color of the sky. Lotta, can't you see it? 
This is where Harry Potter was filmed. Lotta cringed, as she wasn't sure whether she wanted to pop Akko's bubble. Susie, on the other hand, cackled. Wow, I think you're right for once, the Filipino girl said with an obviously disingenuous encouragement. Obviosity, as always, was a concept that eluded Akko. See. Susie gets it. Lotta shrugged and took a photo of Akko, doing a ridiculous pose with the brunette's phone. God, it felt great to be attending the university where the films took place. Not that Akko was a fan of the series. It got too dark and angsty for her after the first movie. And Akko thought the author was kind of an ass. Nevertheless, her parents and their friends had been over the moon that their daughter was studying every day at such a famous place. As she approached, she saw some people entering one of the halls that had an entrance near the far end of the quadrangle. Akko's pace quickened as she saw what she came here for. Walking through the doors, Akko was greeted by a hall that looked like a cathedral. It wasn't overly spacious, but the fifty or so people that were already there held barely anything to the capacity of the room. As the expo was just beginning for the day, Akko saw some people, indie game creators, she assumed, setting up in stalls that were present. There were dozens of stalls. Most of them have yet to be occupied by their scheduled developers, but some have already been set up. Each stall had a monitor, keyboard and mouse, loaned from a technology store not far from the university. To help fund the event, developers looking to showcase their games had to fork out £15 per hour. Akko was sure she had spent the best four to five pounds of her life when she booked. It was too early, as it had been a little past ten, but Akko wanted to see what other people created. It was often inspiring to her. She walked over to the stall nearest to the entrance. The person there was a guy too old to be an undergrad, well, you could never know, since some of her classes had students who looked like their kids had probably graduated already. He had shoulder-length brown hair, overgrown stubble and a bit of a beer belly. Akko wasn't going to judge. Hi, I'm Otsuko Kagari, but you can call me a... Oh, it's you. Akko was taken off guard by the detached timbre of the man's words. Huh? You're the kid who covered for that redhead in the bar I worked at last year. Akko's eyes widened. Oh fuck. I don't know what you're talking about. I love throwing beer all the tea. It was so obvious. Not a single person there believed you, not even the guy who puked on his way to the toilet. His face scrunched in disgust, likely at the memory of having to clean the vomit before the smell could make the other inebriated patrons do the same. Please don't get my friend into trouble. She didn't mean it, Akko begged the words running out of her like a metaphorical projectile vomit. Whatever, it's fine, the bartender sighed. I was young once. The brunette was finally at ease. Wow, I didn't know you make games. Yeah, it's whatever. Just a hobby I do. Akko was slightly put off by his indifference. Can I try your game? Go ahead. Akko finally looked at the monitor on the table in front of her. The accessories were hooked to the bartender's laptop. The start menu was plain, 
it only had two buttons, Start Game and Controls. Clicking on the latter button, it had only an immutable list of key bindings, which surprised Akko like the punchline of a very dry joke. Starting the game, Akko found herself flying in the cockpit view of what appeared to be a fighter jet. She tried to fly up, but instead she crashed into the ground. Inverted controls. The bartender smirked in amusement. Akko, feeling egged on, tried again. This time, her jet tilted upwards, as she intended. She gave a cocky, triumphant grin that turned into an expression of horror, as a blip on the screen turned out to be a speeding missile that crashed into her cockpit like a punch in the face. You died. Akko felt a righteous anger that pushed her to try again. And again. And again. Akko figured out how to use and compensate for the projectile travel time of her own missiles to strike down an enemy fighter jet the time after that. Only to be hit with the, you died, death screen, after a second, jet decided to straight up crash into her. The brunette groaned in frustration as the bartender chuckled. He was definitely getting his money's worth of entertainment. Akko eventually decided to begrudgingly thank the man and move on. More stalls were tended at this point than when Akko had first arrived, and the number of people wandering around had more than doubled. It wasn't crowded, thankfully, so Akko had the freedom to move around comfortably without bumping shoulders with anyone. She saw a physics sandbox game where tall brick towers were smashed into pieces with bricks and dynamites. It was surprisingly satisfying to watch towers collapse into a puddle of bricks. Maybe I should keep Amanda away from this game, Akko considered, unironically, from a place of care. She had lost track of time from the free meditation she derived from destroying towers over and over again. The brunette had only left because the developer wanted to give other people a turn. Another game that had caught Akko's I was a minimalistic platformer that had a Japanese art style. She looked over the shoulder of a blonde girl who controlled a tiny square that bounced around, picking up seeds. With each seed, the square would plant it on a tree to make it branch out. It was beautiful in a minimalistic sort of way, almost fractal-like. It looked as therapeutic as the physics sandbox game that Akko played earlier. After wandering around the expo for a couple of hours, Akko felt her stomach grumble. It should come as no surprise, as Akko had had breakfast earlier than she usually did, so naturally, by noon she was running on fumes. She decided that she was going to have lunch before coming back for her scheduled stall. She exited the hall and walked in the direction of her favorite Thai place. There was no permutation of words in the English language that could describe Akko's love for Pad Ki Mao. The sweet and spicy flavors always fulfilled Akko's taste buds in a unique way that nothing else could replicate. She had texted her friends whether they were available for lunch, but they all either had classes or other plans. Not that Akko was upset or anything, she was used to eating alone during lunch times at school back in Kyoto. After paying for her meal, which, for the proximity to the campus and how delicious it was, was surprisingly inexpensive, Akko began walking back to the expo. Walking through the grandiose entrance of the hall for the second time, technically the third time, that day, Akko wore a determined look on her face.
This was it. This was what she had been working towards all her life. A shot at being a real indie developer, whose games could be enjoyed by other people. Ever since Akko had found out about the expo a little over a week ago, she prioritized delivering the game over all else. Akko couldn't rush her opus magnum, of course. You simply couldn't rush a masterpiece. So she did the next most logical thing, which was to spend an absurd amount of time working on her game, to the detriment of everything else in her week. She had nearly missed an assignment deadline. Nearly, because she didn't, of course. Her assignment wasn't going to be a masterpiece by a long shot, so she could rush it. Yes, Akko's internal logic could be considered paraconsistent. The kind of thing that logicians and philosophers would spend their nights puzzling over. Akko checked in with the staff, before finding her stall and appraising it with a strange fondness, as if she was looking at a magic lamp that would grant her wishes. The brunette took out her laptop and charger from her bag, and proceeded to physically link all connectors to their appropriate ports. The external monitor screen blinked into life, revealing Akko's self-drawn shiny chariot wallpaper to the world. A couple of people turned their heads and raised their eyebrows, but if Akko noticed, she didn't show it. The devout shiny chariot fan wasn't embarrassed by the formative part of her. Why would she be? Akko loaded up the starting screen of her game and waited. She held her head high and made eye contact with anyone who had even remotely turned their head towards her general direction. Okay, maybe she was unintentionally scaring some people off, but she was just so excited. After a while, Akko finally got her first player. A guy who looked her own age walked over awkwardly. He sat on the chair on the other side of the stall and pressed play. Akko could see his actions on her laptop screen. He wore a puzzled face at first, but had intuitively grasped the core gameplay of Akko's game shortly. After playing for a while, he stopped and nodded at Akko. Perhaps in appreciation of her game. Perhaps in bidding farewell. Akko wasn't sure, but she'd be damned if she wasn't getting a conversation out of his time. So, she began, what do you think? Um, his eyes darted upwards as he thought about his dialogue options, I think it's good. He thinks it's good. But I was hoping that there would be a little, more. More? Akko was puzzled. What do you mean? I'm not really sure. Oh? Well thanks anyway. The guy left to wander around, leaving Akko with a slight disappointment. What he said really wasn't enough to go on. Ah well. At least he played her game. A girl approached her stall next. She had a wild punk haircut, where one side of her head was shaved. She'd give Amanda a run for her money for having the flashiest hair around. Yo, what's this? The girl had asked rather directly. Akko was slightly taken aback. Ah, it's a game that I made. Feel free to give it a go. The girl played Akko's game for a minute. Then, she left without acknowledging her. Rude. Akko didn't let that get to her, because she knew there were always going to be people who didn't respect her time. Why should she spare them another thought? 
A few other people had tried her game after that. Their reception had been more like the first guy, lukewarm, polite, but didn't have much else to offer. Akko wished people would speak their mind more often. She could definitely handle a bit of criticism if it really came to that. Akko perked up when she spotted her friends in the crowd. She leaned out of her stall and waved at them vigorously, nearly knocking out a person who walked past her stall at that moment. EY, look who it is, Amanda said to the rest of their group in a boisterous tone, I can't believe it, the Otsuko Kagari. Akko pouted. Just you wait, Amanda. You're gonna eat your words. Hey Akko, Lotta politely greeted. How has it been going? It's, uh, going, Akko answered, feeling self-conscious for some reason. I take it that it hasn't really been going, huh, Susie remarked boredly. I mean, the Japanese girl sighed, some people have played my game, but no one really has anything to say about it. Constance sat on the folding chair in front of the stall and started playing. Jasminka offered Akko a bag of potato chips, to which Akko declined, before settling for watching the German girl play her game. Don't worry Akko, Lotta reassured with a soft smile, it's just like that sometimes. Akko appreciated her flatmate's sentiment. Say, Akko, Amanda started as she watched the screen, why does your game have so many potatoes? Aren't potatoes a hallmark of English culture? Akko asked, before reciting in a butchered impression of a cockney accent, boil m, mash m, stick m in a stew. Wow, that's racist and classist. Susie responded nonchalantly. Yeah, but why are you only focusing on the middle part of that quote? Amanda asked. They deserve it, Akko stated simply, as if reciting a unanimously agreed upon fact. The Japanese girl experienced the biggest culture shock of her life when she realized that the British really liked to add potatoes to every meal. Boiled, mashed, stuck into a stew, baked, fried, and such. Amanda shrugged. After some time, Akko's friends bid their farewells to her, as they had classes to attend. At the start of Akko's second hour there, the stall opposite to Akko vacated. Shortly after, a girl who looked her age occupied the stall. She had luscious blonde hair with tea-green streaks that reached the middle of her back, in curls that bounced as she connected her laptop to the setup. She wore a cream blouse with grey trousers and leather shoes that made her look too formal for a gaming expo. For a brief moment, the other girl's cerulean eyes found Akko's red ones, before directing them down onto her own laptop. The girl looked out of place. Like a shining diamond among a basket of coal. When she sat down, she looked around her, before waiting with what seemed like infinite patience. The other girl clearly didn't feel the giddiness that Akko had felt when she had started an hour ago. Throughout the next hour, Akko received a few players who seemed to all shrug before giving her game a try. What does that even mean? She just wished they would have more of a reaction to her game than polite indifference, and more things to say than just your usual obligatory comments for sitting in front of another person. What really bothered Akko was the fact that in the single hour that the blonde opposite of her had been there, she received more traction than Akko had in her two hours. 
How was that fair? Was the overdressed girl bribing people to play her game? After all, one look at the girl and Akko was willing to swear on her trademarked half-ponytail on her head that the girl was absolutely loaded. But that couldn't have been the case, because as Akko curiously watched, some of the people who played her game seemed to have real conversations with her. Things to say. When they parted, they thanked her with a smile, which she returned politely. The only thing she could gather from where she sat was that the game was in first person. Was she doing something right that Akko wasn't? Only one way to find out. When the stall opposite to her seemed to be having a quiet period, Akko walked over and drew the attention of the blonde girl. Hi. The other girl turned her gaze, from having been looking around the hall from where she sat, to the Japanese girl in front of her. Hello, she greeted politely, with recognition in her blue eyes. I believe you're tending the showcase opposite of me. Oh God, Akko thought, her accent is so posh. She wasn't intimated, but rather surprised at how smooth it sounded, like a soft melody that would complement a wintry morning. Yeah, Akko responded. My name is Otsuko Kagari, but you can just call me Akko. Nice to meet you, Akko. The way the blonde said her name made Akko feel goosebumps, like she was seeing how the name felt with her tongue. The girl smiled politely. My name is Diana Cavendish. Diana, huh? Diana continued. I hope you're finding the event to be of your liking. Sure um. Akko wasn't sure if that was completely true, but she wasn't about to be a party pooper any time soon. I'd love to give your game a try. Diana raised her eyebrows. She was probably surprised that a fellow creator was interested in trying out her game during their book time. She gestured fluidly towards her setup. Of course, by all means. Akko sat down and looked at the screen. Um, she started awkwardly. I think you forgot to restart the game for me. The character that she seemed to be playing, not that she could see them, it was in first person of course, was standing on a bridge in what seemed to be the dead of night. That was intended, Diana responded matter-of-factly. There is no start menu. This is merely what you see when you launch the game. Akko was perplexed. But Diana, you need a start menu, otherwise how am I supposed to look up and change my controls? I guess I could pause. Actually, there is no pause menu either. A. Akko was scandalized. No start menu. No pause menu. Surely it was not intentional. Did she really not bother to finish her game for the showcase? How am I meant to get anything? By playing the game, Diana responded coolly. Perhaps a little put off by the brunette's reaction. Surely you have played a first-person game before. The controls should be intuitive for a developer like yourself. Akko swallowed her grievances. As first impressions went, Diana's game was not doing so hot in Akko's book. But never judge a book by its cover, as they say, so the brunette decided to give the rest of the game a shot. Akko looked around the digital landscape, and all she saw was black. The night sky wasn't really a night, more like an inescapable, oppressive darkness. 
there seemed to be an ocean extending around her towards infinity, with waves that crashed into the pillars of the bridge she was on. She could hear the violence through the headphones that Diana handed her. There was a strange shadow in one direction, so she walked that way. As she approached, the silhouette started to take the form of looming walls that seemed condescending yet impersonal. The walls, much like the water surrounding her, stretched indefinitely in both directions. There was a gate that the bridge led into. She approached the gate. The screen turned black. Um, Diana. First, no start or pause menus, now a bug. This wasn't looking good for the blonde. But before she could say anything else, details returned to the screen. Akko was no longer on the bridge anymore. She was inside a stone structure. A complex that seemed grandiose, yet dead. Majestic, yet indifferent. The ceiling had areas not covered, in which lights bled through. And in its absence, left shadows that seemed to be haunting. Akko wandered around. There did not seem to be an objective, nor anything to do. It felt like an artificial yet lonely and desolate world. The stone pillars stood tall, holding the world together, but not for Akko. That feeling alone made the brunette shiver at an intangible, ominous presence that did not acknowledge her intrusion, as if she were just a speck of dust on the floor. There seemed to be ambient sounds of rocks falling, sands shifting, but if they existed, then they were out of her reach. There was also a low droning sound. It reminded her of the rumble of Kyoto subway stations late at night, when it would be nearly devoid of other people. Akko played for some time. Then, she stopped and handed Diana back her headphones. The blonde regarded her with interest. Thank you for playing with my work. I'd love to hear about what you thought of the experience. The brunette thought to herself before speaking. A rare sight, but she decided to be honest, something that she herself would have appreciated from the other people who played the game. She hoped Diana would appreciate it too. It was, Akko started, different. Diana curled an eyebrow. Different, how so? Well, it's not really a game, is it? The blonde was slightly taken aback. It might not be a traditional game about completing objectives, or attaining high scores, but I do believe it satisfies the definition of the game. Would you not agree? Like, I don't care about the dictionary definition of a game, Akko responded, but if it doesn't feel like a game, then it's just not a game. I'm not really sure what you were trying to go for. Diana's expression remained unchanged, so Akko wasn't sure why she felt as if she was in a minefield, as if a mistake could cost her dearly. She continued with a shrug, maybe I just didn't find what I was supposed to, or missed something. I dunno. Akko, I do not wish my game to be viewed as a checklist of things to do, Diana responded, but now with a tone that made Akko feel frosty. I intended it to be an experience. To elicit a feeling of loneliness and isolation. To portray the concept of being in an alien world, but one that even though you are physically in, you are not truly a part of. I hope I have accomplished that. I guess, Akko admitted. Diana gave an almost unnoticeable smirk, as if she felt triumphant about having defended her craft, but compromised with the need to be polite.
That smirk disappeared entirely when Akko continued. But that kind of thing belongs in an abstract art museum, but not an indie game expo. People play games to have fun, and that's a fact. Was Diana affronted? Akko couldn't tell. But she could imagine that Diana could be a world-class poker player if she wanted to. Maybe that's how she makes her money, Akko wondered. I am sorry that you feel this way, Diana spoke, in a tone that reminded Akko of how politicians would talk to each other. But I do not believe the worth of my work should be judged on such a juvenile and inconsistent measure of value. People play games for a lot of reasons, Akko, and make games for even more. I had sought to depict something personal, in a way that I felt was the most appropriate. Akko rolled her eyes and shrugged. No, that's fine, I get it. If you wanna make abstract, artsy-fartsy games, go ahead. Don't let me stop you. She looked back at her own stall, before meeting Diana's gaze, as if challenging her. But, she continued with a confident smirk, if you want to see a real game, my door is open. A pause. Metaphorically. Diana held her gaze for a moment with an intensity that almost made Akko falter before surprising Akko with a single word. Certainly.